Hello, welcome to Sitcom Geeks, and just before we start this episode, I'd like to apologise for the variation in quality of my voice recording, uh, which was because we recorded this down the line, and uh, absolutely nothing to do with the fact that I accidentally forgot to press play at my end. Oh no, nothing to do with that at all. Actually, Dave, you should probably have pressed record and not play, and I think listeners are starting to see where the problem is, but never mind, here we go. Hello, welcome to Sitcom Geeks, episode 123, 123. I'm Dave Cohen. And I'm James Carey, and it's Chelmsford 123, isn't it? We Maybe this whole episode should have been about Chelmsford 123. Of course, that which was the precursor for uh, Who Dares Wins, uh, the team that eventually went on to create uh, Hattrick, uh, Jimmy Mulville, uh, Rory McGrath. So, yeah, so in, in the comedy pantheon, the number 123 is... Not quite up there with 42, but it's a, it's a pretty significant comedy number. There we go. And we're not going to discuss it in this episode, so we've completely teased the wrong episode. Sorry about that, everyone. Um, uh, we, are, we will be slightly topical, though, because uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the shows that are currently uh, in the news, and well, in the last couple of weeks or so, uh, the Emmy Awards. And yes, the Brits are coming. Yes, we've won some Emmy Awards. Um, and particularly Fleabag uh, won the award for best comedy. Um, and then the show, Netflix show, Succession, uh, which is not a comedy, but is uh, run by, I think, show run by uh, Jesse Armstrong, who many of you will know as in Jesse Armstrong and Sam Bain, creators and writers of 99% of Peep Show and uh, Fresh Meat and Babylon, lots of fantastic hit shows. And The Old Guys, in fact. Yes, the very that's one of their BBC first One ones. show, yeah. The Old Guys, yeah. Uh, the thick of it, uh, Jesse wrote quite a few for. Uh, yeah. And so, yes. And, so, they, yeah. so well done them. So... But yes, but it's 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 kind of I mean they keep saying oh the Brits are coming as if we ever went away because there is absolutely tons of British talent, especially in Hollywood with like you know directors, writers, and uh, producers and actors. It's... I think they're probably still looking at it through the seventeen seventy six uh, spectacles. Really, yes, you know, when possibly they, when they kicked us out of their country. Um, yeah, and now they say are they coming by land or sea? <laughs> um, yeah. So. So yeah, so we, you know, there's, there's a lot of, uh, and, and really in the last 20, 30 years, there's been a lot of crossover, American and British comedy, you know, like The Office being a, a, a hit uh, sitcom in America as, as, as well as Britain. And, you know, a lot, a lot of American ideas now come from British, your wacky British humour. You know, I mean, the internet spam was kind of created by Americans who love Monty Python, the word, the word spam. Um, you know, so um, we, we're uh, we're out there, really. But what we thought we'd talk about on this episode is how it's easy to look at these sort of uh, big name showrunners and 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 winners like Phoebe Waller-Bridge and think to yourself, goodness me, she came out of nowhere. Uh, how do I have a career like that? You know, she's she did a uh, free uh, bag. And then killing Eve, some somehow uh, extraordinary. That it's like, would you would you commission the writer of Fleabag to write a eight part or six part action drama comedy series for the BBC? Somebody did. Somebody did, and they did a terrific job uh, because that first I've not seen the second series yet, which she didn't do, but the first series was great. Um, apart from the cliffhanger ending of the last episode, but we can we can overlook that. Bit bloody for me, but there yeah. You go. 
And similarly with Miranda Hart, suddenly she was on the TV. She was on, she had her own sitcom and then she was in Call the Midwife and touring and she had a book out and everything. And everyone's like, well, goodness me, she suddenly came out of nowhere. And in the case of Miranda, obviously, I know that she did not come out of nowhere um, or arrive fully formed, that there was a long, a long road of blood, sweat and tears. And so... How many radio series? Do you know how many she did before? Well, not that many radio series because her TV show had been commissioned. Her TV sitcom had been commissioned and the radio series was a bit of a warm-up for that. Although she had done a thing before Miranda Hart's Joke Shop, which is what it was called on the radio. She did a thing called Miranda's House Party or something, which I, I, I wasn't involved with. But let us not forget, in the case of Miranda, that she had also been a lead in Hyperdrive, the um, uh, Kevin and Andy, uh, Kevin, Cecil and Andy Riley sitcom. And she had also been, a, had a really good part in Lee Max not going not out. Not going out, yes, of course. Right. And of course she had, she was in uh, series three of Smack the Pony, which is going back a fair way now. But also she did at least half a dozen Edinburgh shows where she was, you know, struggling to fill a room of 60, 80 people and for quite a long time. And so I think, it's very easy to kind of look at, well, Sam Sam Bain or Jesse Armstrong or um, Russell T Davis, the showrunner, and all that kind of stuff, and think, oh my goodness, how do I get to there? And that's that's a good thing to want to get to there. But if you want to jump to there, you're you're going to drive yourself mad. And so you know we want to think about how can you develop that career so that you're doing it one step at a time rather than trying to short circuit the whole system because what happens then is you you end up trying to write write something that will get you noticed rather than write something that you actually put your want to put your heart and soul into and unfortunately despite what turns up on tv and sometimes how cynical some of these things appear to be somebody really did put their heart and soul into that and so we need just to be a bit careful that we are continuing to write things that we like that make us look good as writers that we are excited about and can imagine working on for for three, six, nine years, because that is the reality of what a successful show might actually look like. Mm. And I think also, uh, well, I mean, I mean the, the, one of the answers, and we have talked about this before, one of the ways that you become a successful writer is you start out writing one-line jokes uh, for uh, topical radio and TV comedy shows like Breaking the News and Newsjack. Uh, and you do eventually, a lot of the people who started on those shows 40 years ago are now successful screenwriters. But um, you, you may then turn to us, yes, and say, yes, but you're all very well with Fleabag and Miranda, but they, these are, you know, people writing their own, writer performers doing their own thing. And, you know, uh, Fleabag is... Phoebe Waller-Bridge, and it's her, it's her, whatever her, her project was, and she was able to perform it, etc. Um, whereas uh, I'm just a writer, you know, yeah. I'm not a performer. Well, I mean, in that sense, then it, it is interesting to look at Jesse uh, Armstrong, that whose uh, show Succession won the Emmy, uh, and I haven't seen Succession, but I'm told it's not actually a comedy. Um, so. Jesse and Sam have been, were, you know, they wrote together uh, many, many years and they had a lot of uh, shows. They, they did actually, the first show they ever wrote for uh, was a thing called That 70s Show. They were sort of plucked from nowhere to suddenly write 
uh, a series. Except not quite nowhere. They, they were they were commissioned to, and we can ask them about this because one day we will get them on the show. They, I think, Amer- I think ITV had bought that seventies show, and they paid them to anglicise them essentially and to reimagine them or to, to do something with them. But of course, they didn't just literally. They didn't win a competition or they weren't pulled in off the street. Um, they got that gig because they were doing the sorts of shows that that you were doing, Dave, weren't you? I mean, the, what what sort of shows were you working on? Yeah, I mean, it was like uh, they, they were. We were working on uh, the show, uh, the Big Breakfast. Worked on that show with them for for many years, and also around that time, uh, I was working with them on uh, shows that were piloted sketch shows and sitcoms and shows that came to nothing really. Um, but they did that seventies show. That was that definitely was one of the was a kind of thing, and they were, they were not ready to do that, and that was a kind of bruising experience for them i think and i think that they then went back and they they worked on things like the big breakfast which really was uh not not so much a writing job as a kind of coming up with silly ideas for johnny vaughan and denise van outen to do and coming up with kind of funny situations around that so it it did need uh, an amount of comedy but it wasn't the same as like writing narrative sitcom but at the time they were they were starting to get commissioned uh, for uh, narrative stuff. In fact, they were commissioned at the same time you and I were for my family. Oh yes, and yeah. that was in that will have been in two thousand and three. And we were all set to work together on my family, and then uh, they got a pilot for uh, Peep Show at that point on mm. uh, Channel Four. At which point they said, "Well, we've got to go and do this pilot." So they didn't do my family. God, what they missed out on! Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, they could have, they could have been writers on my family rather yeah. than coming up with peep show and doing. Yeah, although like let's. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna dig in on my family here. Um, my family always got three times the ratings of peep show, so you know. True. And you know what? Weirdly, now I get an awful lot of people who say how much they loved my family, which is not something you got much at the time. But now I'm 43, and I was right. I think I wrote my episode in that year, 2003, which is 16 years ago. And so quite often when I meet people in their 20s and they, you know, oh, I wrote an episode of My Family, they just say, oh, I used to love that show. And, you know, because they were young and they watched it with their family and it was something that they all liked. So, um, but Sam and Jesse did that show, did um, Peep Show, because they'd worked with David and Rob on their sketch show. Yeah. Um, and so it was, it was a vehicle for them, I think, pretty much. Yeah. And so, again, th- these things don't come out of nowhere. It wasn't like, oh, well, they they got this channel called Channel 4 show off the ground. Well, how did they do that? Well, because they'd been around a while doing stuff. And they did stuff also, you know, and again, you think, oh, uh, Jesse Armstrong, Sam Bain, you know, great successful writers, and they are, and they are brilliant. Uh, and now they're, they're doing stuff separately, and Sam's got a movie coming out, I think, this year. Um, and you go, well, you know, great you know non-stop success but i i worked with them on a few things over that period uh pilots uh te- samples of scenes and things like that uh and stuff that but, uh, sketch shows and, and and a lot of it didn't get made um so you know you are you, you, when you talk about overnight success like you're saying with miranda that 10 year overnight success well uh you know uh, Miranda had a big part in not going out. It was she was like the fourth lead, I think. That, that mm, character. Yeah, she was. Yeah, and um, so you know that was quite a big thing. But Je- Sam and Jesse were 
writing a lot of things that didn't get made. You know, you never never saw the light of day. So, and they worked on things that did get made, but nobody ever saw, like Ed Stone is dead, for example, which they were doing at the same time as doing Big Breakfast. I remember saying, seeing these Ed Stone is dead scripts lying around, uh, and the and by Sam and Jesse, oh, what's this? And, oh, it's just something we're doing. I don't know, was it for Sky? I can't remember. Or so. Uh, it might have been BBC Three, and a, and then there was a cha- there was a cable channel as well. I think certainly did not get uh, get huge viewing figures, but I mean that was a great show for them because that was you know they learned they learned how to write together long uh, long episodes, um, and and you know obviously that that helped uh, with Peep Show. But it is that that the, the road you know there there are failures along the way always when you think. When you think that um, somebody is an overnight success, it's rarely the case. Absolutely. And so here I am thinking when we were talking about this um, before the name Russell T. Davis came up as so previously, what's exciting in this Emmys thing is how um, maybe we've now got some comedy names that are being trusted to be showrunners, whereas previously that seems to be you unless you're Jed Mercurio or Russell T. Davis or, or whatever that you don't get to be a a showrunner, as it were. And yet, actually, let's bear in mind, Russell T. Davis, another great example. He's someone who wrote three episodes of Chuckle Vision. Yeah. Because he used to be a kids writer. Mm. Um, And in fact, uh, he might even have been a children's TV uh, producer. He also did Children's Ward back in the day uh, and those sorts of things. He he says, you know, he often says, I began my career writing children's comedy. He thought... He he always mentions Chuckle Vision, yeah. Not not least because it's one of those shows that uh, when you mention it to people in the business, they go groan and go, "Oh bloody hell, that!" But actually, Chuckle Vision was a fantastic starting place. Funny, yeah. And 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 that was helpful to me when I was writing Chuckle Vision. I wrote two episodes considerably um, later than Russell T Davis was. Well, actually, maybe only a decade. Not even that. Maybe eight, seven or eight years. Um, that's one of the first pe- decent paid jobs I did after leaving university. Uh, and I got paid for it several times over, in fact, because it was um, it was repeated quite a few times. Yeah. He ended up writing Queer as Folk and really making his name, I think, through that, even though there were lots of other things that he did and worked on soaps and that sort of stuff. And then uh, Bob and Rose, The Second Coming, Mine or Mine, Casanova, and then Doctor Who was where he became this big showrunner figure. Yeah. Uh, and well, so, he revived the show, didn't he, really, from the, the old Absolutely. The old version. And so it's one of those things where it's very easy to get fed up and look and think, I'm not getting anywhere. And it, well, and that may be true. And it, in some cases, it may feel like you're going backwards. Um, and, you know, I get those feelings quite often. And it may be true of me at the moment, in fact, where, you know, I've I've done an awful lot of half-hour sitcoms 150 half-hour scripts I think I've written or co-written for TV and radio and things are pretty things are pretty quiet at the moment and I'm you know and no one's particularly keen to meet up and talk to me about for me to talk to them about some ideas that I've had and you know these things have their day and other people are terribly exciting at the moment and 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 that's just the way things go and you sort of learn not to freak out about it too much um, and you do other things like do podcasts whilst those quiet periods are coming along. Well, I th- uh, should I mention horrible histories at this point? I mean, I think it's about uh, time yeah. you mentioned horrible <laughs> histories, Dave. Because that's because uh, talk about success, you know, and this is uh, by uh, every definition, 
Horrible Histories has been a, a success and it's been uh, for, for 10 years it's been nothing but you know kind of nice uh nice things happening to me i mean uh, things yeah. that we tried to get off the ground that didn't like the west end shows and stuff but uh, that was just um more uh legal matters than to do with the show itself but the, the actual shows are great they uh everybody loved the shows and everybody says all oh, the songs are the best thing in it and that's you know and let's and dave you write the songs you and and richie webb write the song you write almost all of them don't you as barry manilow says and i i've uh yeah i'm kind of i feel like i've probably written uh we've had eight series and i've written about a hundred songs for the eight tv series and i i'm if they get another series i, I i'm not sure if i how whether if i have enough uh that isn't repeating myself to, to, to do another thing. Oh, get, get a grip of yourself. If they offer you work, you do it. You figure that out later. Yeah, but I, I didn't do as many for the last series. Right. Uh, but I did, I got more involved in, in sort of other, other ways to it. But, uh, but then the, the movie happened and, um, you know, that's, that's been kind of five, six years, uh, in, in the making. That was in, I remember back in 2012, uh, Caroline of producer saying, Oh, don't tell anyone yet, but we're, uh, you know, I think we're, we're on to do Horrible Histories, the movie. Um, and then th- that carried on until we were finally allowed to tell people in about 2018, so <laughs> six years later. Oh, we can tell people. And we wrote the songs, and then the movie was made, and uh, it did very well in test showings with kids. And then uh, and then it came out uh, this summer, and that was very exciting. And then to Leicester Square and seeing you know, the, the, the movie at the big Leicester Square cinema, uh, lots of big names in comedy come to see the premiere as well. Very, very exciting. Uh, and then um, it, and, and it was a bit of a hit with the, the movie with kids, but not quite so much with the adults. And certainly some of the reviews were uh, a, a bit, um, a bit scathing. And there was one review that said, uh, you know, the song, the songs, the, the uh, songs were ropey. That was the word. I thought, Oh, thank you. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm now old enough and, you know, scarred enough to not take reviews personally, but I, I sort of was quite amused by that. But then mm-hmm. the review, the review that really hit harder was the ah, oh, this is going to be your AA Gill review that I've had that I that I refer to about every fourth episode. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not because this is one where they actually say what you knew, which is they say, uh, and of course the the songs which were the sort of the great hit and and you know one of the great sort of uh, success stories or horrible history. Uh, un- unfortunately, they just didn't quite lift the the film. They were they they were just a bit of a disappointment, really, and and they they could have lifted the film, but actually they're a bit flat. And that 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 I'm afraid was my was also my opinion when I saw it. But I thought, oh, I hope no one else notices. But of course, <laughs> Empire Magazine or whoever it was, said, you know, and, and I thought, oh God, yes, you know, that's the horrible thing is, yes. They, they they were really looking forward to the songs and I personally let them down. Yeah. Um, so, you know, even within that, whatever whatever you define as success, um, you know, and the horrible histories is a is a success. But, you know, that's kind of been a that's been a sort of summer of mild disappointment, I would say, really, after yeah. years years of uh, success with it. Yeah. Um so in terms of how we move forward though, I just think what I'm taking away from this is how it's very i mean if you go back and listen to the interview we did with pete sinclair now pete works with jack d and he wrote lead balloon with jack d and then bad move and he's also written for 
hundreds of episodes of Have I Got News For You, Never Mind The Buzzcocks. They think it's all over. Newsoids. And yet when we asked him, do you feel like you've made it? He's like, ah, not really. Um, and so you think this is a business in which everybody's kind of looking into the abyss pretty much all the time and everyone feels like they've got a bit of imposter syndrome and that they don't really, that they're just getting away with it. And uh, yeah, so so bear that in mind. And therefore, my couple, I've got just got a couple of things here that might be constructive uh, as a way forward, rather than just looking at Phoebe Waller-Bridge and going, oh, it's all right for her because... She's posh, she's able to act, and she wrote a good play for herself. Um, and actually, I think everyone has universally agreed that the writing in um, is excellent in Fleabag. And that her performance is, is good, but I think people have really noticed what a brilliant... What a you know what a brilliant stage of life she's picked up. What a great attitude you know. And then she goes and proves it again by doing Killing Eve. And you just think, well, this lady can write. You know, she's really, really good. Um... So there's you, you can't say, well, it's all right for them because that, A, it's not true because it wasn't. Um, and B, it doesn't get you anywhere, even if it were true. So my two bits of advice really would be, one is to firstly write what you want to write. So don't write to get noticed, but write what you want to write because that is, you sort of have to sort of operate as if you are a successful writer and that you are writing things that you want to write because... Writing is so hard to write things that you don't want to write for no money initially is virtually impossible. So so don't even try. Um, and when you get into a meeting with someone who actually is interested in what you've written and might want to make what you want to write, you have to show that you have an insight, that you have um, skills in this area, that you have a passion to tell the story. There was a documentary recently uh, it might have been on Sky Arts or something I watched just before I lost the subscription with Jed Mercurio. Um, it was a South Bank show, I think. And he obviously had a medical background. And so he was able to really sink his teeth into cardiac arrest um, and then do bod and then do bodies. Yeah, that's a rather unfortunate turn of phrase of sinking his teeth into yes, cardiac exactly. arrest. Um, but he was able to inject that again uh, with an with an attitude of doctors who are merely trying to survive the shift and are, you know, are kind of negotiating a very broken system where they're actually not these saviours that we like to paint them as. And that was quite a controversial series and it did very well. Um, and then he was sort of on to the next thing. But he he had some expertise where he could lend that um and so the same with Stephen Moffat, if you go back to that interview with, that we did with him, is you'll discover that he he wrote what he knew in that he wrote a, a show about a school magazine, you know, which was pre Press Gang. That was his thing. And then that led to one thing and then another thing. And the next thing you know, he's Stephen Moffat. Um, and but that that took 20 years and there was no one point at which he was he suddenly became Stephen Moffat. Um he did do, he wrote, he wrote what he knew as well, because he did, uh, of course, Chalk, which was about a, a teacher. Yes, uh, exactly. Yeah. Being a teacher, so. And right back then, he must have felt pretty low because, you know, it, it, nobody liked it uh, when it came out, or at least not that many people liked it. So that's my first thing, is just to say, write, write like a successful writer, as in write what you want to write. Write stuff that you are interested in, that you've always wanted to write about. Write what you love. 
rather than write what you think will get you noticed or write what you think will get commissioned or write what you think resembles something that's already successful. Because by the time you get your script to somebody, that thing that was successful is possibly no longer successful and has and has passed its sell-by date and they want something new. So for goodness sake, you know... Just before you get to your second thing, I'd mm. like to say uh, uh, on, on top of that, that, that actually one of the things that we... Uh, one of the reasons we were going to be talking about this was, was about uh, the fact that uh, Jesse Armstrong succeeding with a, a non-comedy and Fleabag, which is drama comedy, is, and, mm. and it's like, uh, on top of having to know everything else about what, what you need to make a, a successful show, you're now having to think, well, what, how much comedy do I put in? How much drama? Is there a, is there a formula? And, and, and so, so that's kind of, that's a sort of day, almost daily changing uh, discussion. And I think that what you've just said uh, off the back of that, I think it's very, very true to, to kind of try not to be too, I mean, be aware of the trends that, that are happening, but that don't, don't uh, overanalyze them because you, you know, you might find yourself in the middle of a, a, a big discussion about what makes uh, a drama work and then suddenly someone's going to turn up with an audience sitcom with no drama in it at all and then suddenly everyone's going to say oh we want sit we want audience sitcoms so you, you you can't really predict but but look look at the trends and, and and as james says look at what you what you know but the main thing is look at what uh, you know galvanizes you really yeah and i think that's why you do need to find a half decent producer who can then you you send your stuff to someone and uh it's kind of up to them to try and sell it and it is very frustrating though you know this isn't this just to be realistic i've had a couple of things recently where i've had producers say things like oh this feels like quite a hard sell to which i want to say to the producer why don't you go and sell it um because if it was an easy sell i don't need you for that uh, I can I can sell the easy stuff, and if if I had something that was an easy sell, don't you think I would have given that to you already, or don't you think I would have already sold it and I'd be working on that and I wouldn't be pitching shows to you? Um, so did you did you actually say that? Did you? Of course not. No, I'm British and I'm a writer, and so I basically said, oh, okay, I fully understand, and then you know, put a sharp object in my fist and pulled tightly, put it together, and um, yeah, so. Uh, but you do have to but that that's just the way the world is and bear in mind again thing we say a lot is if you want the bbc or somebody to make your netflix to make eight episodes of one hour of your show or amazon prime or itv it that's going to cost them a couple of million quid and so you want them to make spend a few million quid on your your idea so you better have a good reason as to why you want to do it other than because you're an attention seeker or you feel lonely or you feel envious that Phoebe Waller-Bridge had an easy ride because, um, you know, when that's not true. So you just want to be, you, you just need to be realistic that this is a grown-up world and it is very easy. Grown-up writers included, ex successful grown-up writers, we can feel like children sometimes. You just go, no, oh, it's not fair. And you go, well, sorry. Um there has probably never been a better time to actually make a living as a writer than now. Um, but unfortunately, lots of people are trying to get in on it. So that makes it quite competitive. But in terms of the, the amount of scripted television being produced globally, it's, it's you know, probably 10 times bigger than it was 20 years ago. There's, there's so much going on. 
Um, which would therefore lead me to the second thing, which is an awful lot of stuff is sold by producers that need writers. They, they've managed to sell a concept. They've managed to sell 39 episodes of something and they now need writers. And therefore it is worth thinking in the very short term about what work you can do, that what work you can find that will just sort of get you into the rhythm and the groove of being a writer. And it may be a it may be a kids show um, about um, about, uh, you know, two otters who live in a greenhouse. And that's not really what you what made you want to be a writer. But but do it because it might be you, you'll learn a lot. The person that is producing that show may well end up being the head of Channel 4 in in 12 to 17 years time. Uh, you will also make some money. You will also get some credits and you will also improve at your craft. And so trying to find these opportunities is is well worth doing. And again, you need to just put yourself into the places where those sorts of opportunities um, come along. Um, so, you know, and, and, we, and we've talked in the past about what those sorts of opportunities are and we could talk about them now. But well, in fact, I mean, it's topically we got uh, one of our Patreon members uh, sent us a message uh, today. Uh, he actually he, he made a, like a 10 minute uh, uh, taster sitcom mm -hmm. pilot uh, and he wrote to us uh, and he said that he's been invited uh, to have a meeting with one of the main TV players, which is a, a nice uh, thing. To get. Right. Yeah. And, uh, he's uh, he asked for some uh, advice. You know, he had no idea what to expect from the meeting. So I, I just I saw this this morning. And I, I kind of wrote back to him, um, and uh, exactly from what you've just been saying, I think the things that I would say is if you know if you can make something yourself, uh, that's fantastic. That's one way of getting noticed, and you put it out there, and a producer sees it. A producer liked what he'd done, obviously, and they said, come and meet. Uh, and you, your thought is, oh, wow, they want to meet me. Uh, what should I do? Uh, and basically what I've said is, I mean, the first thing is they want, you know, they're interested in you. Don't, don't be frightened. Don't be intimidated. They want to see you. And that's, that's the situation now. They are looking for writers all the time. Um, they're looking for new writers. All it's just the nature of uh, the creative world. They're always looking for the new first, best first novel. You know, best, and uh, producers always looking for new writers, new performers. So you're in an advantageous position from that point of view. Um, if you do get asked to, to a, a, a meeting, it's probably a, an informal chat. But at the same time, they probably want to know. Uh, they, they'll want to know if you've got any other projects, any ideas. Um, and if you haven't, it's worth thinking about some. Um, and then to at least go in there and they say, oh, well, have you got anything else? Well, not really. Uh, you know, you want to at least make it seem like you have yeah. got other things. And also you might want to express interest in some of their existing shows and suggest that you might be quite a good person to write on one of those shows. Um, so they, they might say, what else have you got? And you, you could say to them, well, what else have you got? Um, because again, this is a grown-up world. You know, we this is don't 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 be made to feel like a competition winner, um, because you might be the next Russell T Davis or you might be the next Jesse Armstrong, and companies like those big ones are built on people who who can do that and who are like that. Yeah, and I in fact I said as well about um, from your point of view, 
do you want to work with them? Well, obviously, of, co of course you do. But, um, you know, this is a professional relationship. Don't just go in there uh, on your hands and knees just thanking them uh, so much for, for having asked you in there. You know, think, think of it in professional terms. Well, what can I, you know, what, what, what can they get from me and what can I get from them? And then that, that kind of takes the emotion out of it, I think, which is uh, important. And, you know, look at it as a, as a professional thing. So that, that, that's the advice that I sent to our Patreon man. Yeah. So um, I think that's probably uh, a bit of a, you know, a bit of a pep talk. But us as much as you. Well, yeah, no, that's true, because we all kind of hit various plateaus and, and dips and, and those sorts of things. And it's, that's entirely normal, really. And writers just don't go from project to project to project. It's fairly unusual. Um, and so... You know, as I say, I'm, I've got Russell T. Davis's uh, scripts in front of me now, his production credits, and you know, th there there are there are a few little quiet patches um, here and there where I'm sure at one point he just thought, oh my goodness, maybe maybe nobody wants to hear from me anymore, and maybe that's it. And but actually, um, you know, you just got to kind of try and blow through those, or to go and do something else, go go and go and teach latin in an independent school whilst they still exist or go and you know uh, go and go and move uh, to a scottish island and get off the grid and uh, and and grow cabbages i mean it's you don't have to be a writer <laughs> uh, but um but no it's stop taking our work from us yes exactly yes that's right leave some room for us uh that would be good Cool. Okay. So in uh, in dispatches, we are just to remind people that we do have a script competition running. Uh, do you want to say a bit about that, Dave? Yes. Sorry. Uh, we, we we should have uh, opened with that, but no, uh, it's all right. We, let's let's do it now. Okay. Yes. Uh, sitcom script challenge, which we're running uh, in conjunction with the British Comedy Guide uh, Pro uh, uh, membership, and uh, you've got um, probably about another six to eight weeks, I think, uh, November the seventeenth, I think. So yeah, about six weeks. Uh, is the deadline to that. Send us your script and uh, the winning script will get uh, a, a fully detailed script analysis and we, with, uh, if possible, we might try and uh, get you on the show and talk to you about it. Yeah. Um, and that's, um, that's, that's been, we've had a lot of interest in the competition. Uh, you can find out about that competition going to the uh, British Comedy Guide uh, P Pro page. Uh, you don't Links in the show notes. Yeah, and um, find out that that will tell you all, all about how, what you need to do to uh, to send in the script. You have to either be a member of the BCG Pro or uh, one of our Patreons uh, paying at the uh, a particular rate. Uh, but uh, we would love you to to join us uh, yeah. as a Patreon. Um, we, we that's um, we we survive doing this podcast through your generosity. So yeah. the more more generous you are, the more uh the more things we can do and we've Absolutely. got, we, we've got our, our own sitcom as well that we're creating uh which is currently uh, it's called soup to nuts as in we're starting from nothing and hoping to, to uh come up with a finished sitcom we haven't got a title for it yet which should yeah. probably that should probably be one of our next things is to think yeah. of some titles for it yeah but there are there are 13 episodes that you you have not yet heard which are well i think one of which you might have heard a bit of um which if you're a Patreon subscriber, you can listen to. Plus also there's my audio. I'm doing an audio version of my book, writing that sitcom. And all of these come to you on a private RSS feed, um, 
which which you can get hold of if you join us on Patreon. And there's also a private Facebook group as well. So there are lots of benefits to joining in. And it's it's a fairly positive, mutually supportive place, isn't it? Because we're all trying to keep going and we might be the only in our in our little world, we might be the only person who is a writer or trying to be a writer that we know and everyone around us thinks we're a little bit crazy. So any way that we can just slightly cling to each other and um, give each other a bit of a bit of a pep talk, um, uh, then then that's all to the good. So do join us on Patreon for, for that, if for no other reason. Obviously, if you just enjoy the show, uh, that would be great. And also maybe ask, think to yourself, who could you recommend this show to? It would be great if we could have a few more listeners because we're already doing yeah we're already doing pretty well but uh we could possibly actually have advertising on this show if our listeners listener base is enormous if you think you might want to advertise on this show uh you could also uh, do that so get in touch with us you can email us sitcomgeeks at gmail.com and also email us uh, any things that you think that we should be talking about on this podcast we are all ears so um hopefully that's enough to be going on with and we thank you very much for listening and we will speak to you next time bye-bye bye